0: Welcome to Episode 2 of Greens with Envy. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, along with the editor of the magazine, Guy Cipriano. Welcome back to the United States. And, for the first time, our producer, Patrick Williams. Patrick is the Senior Editor of Greenhouse Management Magazine and Produce Grower Magazine. He is also a former intern for Golf Course Industry Magazine. How's everybody doing? Great, and it's awesome to have Patrick in the studio. Uh, Yeah, Patrick interned with us a few years ago.
1: He was an awesome intern, and we were able to get him a full-time job in our company working with some of the other publications in the horticulture group, and Patrick's going to probably not want to hear me say this right now, but I would say, you know, when, when we talk about developing talent and things that you've done in your career that are really special and meaningful, I would say that when Patrick got a full-time here full time job here at GIE Media, that was probably one of the most rewarding things that's even happened in my own career, to see some young person that had a great attitude that you worked with and maybe you helped out a little bit uh, get an awesome position with a, a great company. So yeah, we're back in the United States,
0: and it's good to see you,
1: Matt, and it's good to see you... Uh, patrick here in the studio yeah
0: thanks so much guy that's really high praise i appreciate that i don't think anybody's gonna hear that but if you can hear patrick in the background he doesn't have a mic he's he's thanking guy and i was not expecting so much uh sentimentality here in the first 90 seconds of the episode oh and i
1: think it plays a lot into what the people in the golf industry are doing right now you get a lot of young workers and you you maybe get some interns or maybe even some high school students and my advice would be spend time with them don't just give them tasks and don't interact with them give them a whole variety of tasks be very hands-on with them explain to them why you're doing the things that you do and it it,
0: it could reap a a long-term reward for your your facility trust the process so guy the last time we talked with you for greens with envy it was the first episode of the show you were coming back from colorado And we called that episode Rocky Mountain Guy. I hope folks have had a chance to listen to that. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it is also available at GolfCourseIndustry.com. We are getting it on all the platforms, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and wherever you get your podcasts. That's coming soon. Uh, This time, you're coming back into the United States from what i like to call sometimes canadia i like to add a little extra syllable it is a compliment i think to our fine neighbors up north yeah this is the second trip this summer to, to canada
1: and crossing back into the united states was a little more interesting this time Why? uh for starters i i was able to like track it on an app and there was a long line to get back into the u.s so i'm like well and this was around 5 p.m last night i'm like oh, well i'm not gonna it. wait in that so you played golf didn't you? so i the great thing about driving through Ontario is they, they have signs before you get to every exit letting you know what golf courses are at that exit. So it's great. <laughs> they have a little logo for golf and they have the public <laughs> facilities that are listed at that exit. And I, I was Canada. on the QEW and I knew that there was going to be a big line, line at the border. So I, I, I saw one for Eagle Valley Golf Club and pulled off in uh, Niagara Falls. It was about three kilometers off the uh, exit it's about 1.8 miles and it was an 18 hole executive course and this is around 5 30 so i thought maybe league play would be going on and they indeed had a league going off the the front nine but they let me play the uh the back nine and I, i i played the nine holes there were i think four par fours and five par threes and play walked it in about 58 minutes uh, got back in my car, and there was only like a 10-minute line at the border, so it was great. I, you know, essentially did not have to sit around and do nothing for an hour and got to get nine holes of golf in on a beautiful evening on a cool little golf course. But, yeah, coming back into the U.S., so I, I get up to the uh, the Border Patrol agent. You know, it's, it's my car's turn, and I roll down the window, and my phone starts ringing. I'm like, I don't get many phone calls. And it's kind of interesting. I get one at this moment, and I have my Bluetooth hooked up, and it was actually our friend Tyler Bloom, the superintendent Uh at Sparrows Point Country Club in Maryland, who uh, was the second part of the R-Major series, his facility and his program. And I was in Canada for the third part of the the R-Major series, and the first part was also in Canada. So obviously I didn't pick up the phone. Uh, And the Border Patrol agent says, uh, citizenship, I said, United States. Where do you live? Ohio. She then asked, What were you doing in Canada? Work. What do you do? I'm the editor of a golf magazine. Where were you going? I said Magna Golf Club, just north of Toronto. What were you doing there? I was like, I was interviewing members of the the maintenance team, taking photos and working on a series. Uh, How's the golf course? She wanted me to give it like a star rating. I said, I said it's awesome. It's a great golf course. And I asked her, I said, well, have you heard of it? Have you ever been there? She said, no. Uh, she goes, w- What part of golf does your magazine cover? So I explain what we do. <laughs> and she, she, I kid you not asked what type of grass they have on the course and i said that well they got bent grass on the tees fairways and greens and then a mix of uh bluegrass and ryegrass in the uh in the rough so she said great and uh i was on my way i was i was back in the united states and uh it was maybe a 40 second exchange and then uh i called tyler back right away and i said you're not gonna believe when you called me and uh what i was dealing with but it was uh it was it was great to be in Canada. It was good to be back home, and it was a it was an awesome trip. And it, it was you know when I left Canada in June. So the R Major series, for those that aren't familiar, is a three part series about golf courses preparing for their big moment. It's sponsored by our friends at Aquaaid Solutions, who are a big believer in partnering with us to tell great stories and support, uh, some of the superintendents and crews doing awesome things. And the, the first part of the series was at Hamilton golf and country club. And that was behind the scenes with the RBC Canadian open crew. And that's Canada's major. I mean, and then the second part, we went to Maryland for the Sparrows point country club member guest. So it was kind of cool to go behind the scenes of a member guest tournament. Cause I'm not sure that's been too, done too often with an industry publication. And then the third part was, well, uh, at Magna Golf Club, and we were doing a women's tournament. It was the CP Women's Open, the, the 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 Canadian Open for Women, and it was at Magna Golf Club just north of Toronto, which had never hosted a televised event. It's an ultra-exclusive private club, um, Magna, which is a big corporation that – it's a global automa- automotive supplier. It's got – over 300 manufacturing facilities all over the world. Well, this is their country club. So all the employees are Magna employees. So, yeah, that's what we were doing in Canada. And, you know, can't be uh, more thankful for Aquaid Solutions to to allow us to tell these type of stories. And they're they're a, a, an awesome growing company in the industry. And it's been a fun series to work on. And, you know, this was just as fun as the, the first two parts.
0: So you are at Magna for... I think like three days. This is an LPGA tour event, right?
1: Yes. Yes. It's a, it's uh, one of the bigger stops on the LPGA tour. And it's huge this year because the defending champion is a young woman named Brooke Henderson, who uh, is Canadian. She's 21 years old. She's about as affable and personable as a, pro athlete at that age as you're ever going to find. So this tournament is a big deal in Ontario. Uh, Brooke is trying to defend her title. I mean, she is the main attraction, and she's completely embracing that role. Uh, She's very likable. And, uh, yeah, Ontario, and I don't know if our listeners that aren't Canadian know this or understand this, that, that Ontario, especially the greater Toronto area and southern Ontario, is one of the global Golf hotbeds. Well, I mean, they
0: have exit signs telling you what the golf courses are right off the exit. Yeah, there are around
1: 2,300 golf courses in Toronto or in Canada. Uh, Around 700 of those are in Ontario, and most of those are in Southern Ontario. So there are golf courses all over the place. And Canadians, for those that don't know, love to play golf. Nearly one in six Canadians play golf, and their participation rate is double that of the United States. So we kind of just assume, oh, you know, right. golf is a warm weather sport and the, the people in the warm weather places play more golf than people in the cool weather places, and that that's the exact opposite. Uh, in fact, in the United States, the uh, two states with the highest golf participation rates are Minnesota and Wisconsin, they're both over 10%. Well, yeah, the the, the national participa- participation rate in Canada is – 18 percent so i I don't know what it is maybe it's the fact that uh when you live in a cool weather environment like that and it gets warm out you want to be outside doing things but they're also outside in those places doing things all winter too whether it's it's ice fishing or skiing or cross-country thing it just uh, the the upper midwest of the united states the pacific northwest of the united states and canada are probably the the most active places i've Ever traveled to with people getting outside doing things, and that that carries over to golf.
0: Yeah, the uh, the participation rate, I think, in the U.S. is about seven or seven and a quarter yep. percent, and it actually just went up. I don't know if you saw this from the National Golf Foundation. It just went up uh, for the first time in I think 14 years. It increased last year to about 24.2 million. Uh, first time the annual number of folks six or older who golfed at least one round in a year went up since 2004.
1: Yeah, that, that's good. I mean, the more people that play golf, and it's it's not so much sometimes the, the raw numbers. People look at participation rates and that type of data. It's how many rounds those people are playing. Right. So, you know, the, the key to golf is um, having a lot of enthusiasts and people that play, you know. So, so let's say you have some participants, you know, a couple million people, and they're only playing once or twice a year. Well, that's not going to help the industry as much as having, um, you know, a couple hundred thousand people, you know, enter the game who are playing every week or multiple times per week so those numbers are always uh interesting to look at and sometimes you have to dig deeper down to them and you know with any type of number statistic they can be spun any way you want but you don't even need to look at the numbers to realize that golf matters in ontario you just need to look at the exit signs you just kind of need to go around and uh you know if you listen to the radio i mean the cp women's open and the rbc canadian open were the lead stories when they're going on there's tv broadcast around these events and uh, th- there really are a, a big deal. And uh, you know, g- golf in uh, Ontario is a – it's a cool thing, and that, that extends into the turf departments I've met.
0: How many rounds do you think you've golfed this year, Guy, roughly?
1: That's a good question. It it, it goes in spurts. I might play like four times in two weeks, and then I might not play in two weeks. So I, I would say what we're here in late August. I've probably played around – and this is an estimate – 25 to 30 rounds this year, but I do a lot of nine-hole stuff. I'll, I'll play counts. six-hole rounds. Yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of do random things like that. I'll, I'll, I try to bring my clubs on every trip, and you know if there is a gap in the schedule or a superintendent asks you if you want to play, I, I, I try to get out and play as much as I can, but, yeah, it, it goes into spurts. I will say in the last week and a half I've played golf in Colorado, Ohio, North Carolina, and Ontario, so I'm on one of those spurts where I'm playing a lot right now.
0: I have a three-year-old, so I've played four times this year. Patrick, how many times have you golfed this year? Zero. Zero. So the average in the room is somewhere between, what, 9.7 and ten
1: point eleven point three. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not married, and I don't have children, so yeah. I have a little bit of uh... – time on my hands to to play golf. But I would urge, you know, anyone to, to make time for it, no matter how busy your life is. If you work in the golf business, you know, try to make time to play. I've never met a superintendent who says he or she plays too much golf, but I've met dozens, if not hundreds, who say I don't play enough. And uh, right. anytime a golf course superintendent or an assistant superintendent or anybody that works on a crew goes out and plays golf, they're probably learning or seeing something that could help them do their job or if they're not, they're, they're getting away from their job and they're doing something that maybe refreshes them when they do come back to work.
0: All right. So you were at Magna for a few days. You are dealing with LPGA Tour golfers rather than, obviously, PGA or member guests. What are some of the differences in... And you're not there covering the event, but you are talking with folks. You are talking with the maintenance crews. It's a little, I would imagine, uh, lower pressure. Uh, to a a wide degree or at least lower attention uh, granted to it. What are some of the primary differences between being on the course during the days leading up to an LPGA Tour event and the days leading up to a PGA Tour event?
1: It's interesting. Um, So Magna Golf Club, and this is my first experience kind of inside the ropes with a maintenance team during an LPGA event. Uh, For starters, Magna Golf Club is a fabulous facility. It's one of the elite ones in Canada, and they have 50 employees on their crew. Now, that sounds like a lot. Well, the expectations are ultra high at Magna, and there's a lot, a lot of turf to maintain and a lot of bunkers to maintain. It's a very uh, bold and wide uh, golf course, so there's uh, no shortage of work for those 50 people to do. So there wasn't the huge volunteer presence that you see at maybe some of the PGA Tour tournaments or major championships that I've covered. Uh, There were about uh, maybe about 10 people in and out this week at magna helping the team out uh, maybe they're friends of the superintendent or friends of one of the assistant superintendents or maybe one of their industry uh partners but but when you get inside the the ropes it's you know the the same things are doing I, I noticed that things weren't as um micromanaged it, it seemed like there was a lot more trust given to the host superintendent than i've seen at pga tour tournaments you didn't have like you know, a half dozen people on each green doing stint meter readings and firmness <laughs> readings. It was kind of left up to Superintendent Wayne Rath, who's been there from the start. He was the growing superintendent. He's been there for 22 years. He worked closely with Doug Carrick, who designed the golf course. He, so he knows the property better than anyone. And really, it was left up to him and his team to prepare for this tournament. And they, they've done a fabulous job. It's like they've done it every year. It's the first time Magna Golf Club's opened up its doors to a televised tournament. Really? And it might be the only time it ever happens. It was kind of a big sacrifice for the club to, to give itself up. For this event, and it's going to be one of the uh, most spectacular venues the LPGA will will play this season. And it, but it's like they've done it every year. It was it was like the morning shift started at 5 a.m. and everybody was off the course by 7:30. And then the evening shifts were really low key. They were just mainly mowing some of the bluegrass services and doing some touch up work. So it wasn't as like micromanaged as a PGA Tour tournament. Sometimes you go to these uh, tournaments and they have 100 volunteers and they're mowing uh, morning and evening and there's a lot of stress on the turf and there are a lot of moving parts and you know like i said there's stint meter readings and firmness readings and hand watering and just everything is so micromanaged i didn't see that at magna and maybe the weather has been a little uh different maybe they've there's been more control over the moisture because they've gotten some rain but it it was interesting to see and it was like they'd done it every year it was pretty cool to see and and then the other thing that was really eye-opening to me was, so uh, I got there Monday night, so I, I did a tour of the golf course with one of the, the members of the crew, and then Tuesday morning, I was there for the morning shift, and Tuesday afternoon for the, the evening shift, and then I was there Wednesday morning, and actually, uh, Tuesday evening, Wayne Rath let me work on the course. I kind of had the itch to... Uh, I was going to ask if you, you had know, a chance the, to get out Yeah, there I haven't had a chance to, to volunteer a tournament this year, so I asked uh, Superintendent Wayne Rath if I could, you know, help the team out, and he had me... Uh, Two divots um <laughs> during the evening shift <laughs> on tuesday and the 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 mon- or the wednesday morning shift i worked with a um a retiree his name was wayne on on tuesday night and wayne uh was very successful in the wine industry so he, he's been retired for three years he's only in his 50s and he was just kind of looking for a hobby job and fell into golf course maintenance this year because his daughter was um worked the beverage cart at magna and heard good good things about the course so he's just you know there is something to do as a retiree and he's really grown to love it and then on wednesday morning i worked with one of the volunteers a um wonderful assistant st- superintendent from Scarborough Golf and Country Club, which is east of Toronto, named Leslie Thomas. So uh, she's been there for yeah. thir- 30 years. She's our senior assistant superintendent. So I got to work with two fascinating people. And as you're, for anyone that hasn't vol- uh, volunteered or worked a – professional tournament, you know, during the practice round days, Monday and Tuesday, you might be out there working on the course, but players are also out there doing practice rounds. And uh, I would say that the LPGA players are completely different than the PGA players. You know, the PGA players are fine, but they just kind of look, you know, hit their shot and do their thing and they don't really realize who's inside or outside the ropes. The LPGA players are very, very personable. I can't tell you how many times I saw over the, 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 48 hours I was there players going up to maintenance Employees saying thank you for the work, you know, pretty much every player during the practice round signed every autograph. Um, Very appreciative, you know, taking selfies with fans, taking selfies with the the crew members. So it was really refreshing to see uh, the LPGA for the first time from that perspective. And I hope to go back to some tournaments soon. You know, I think that's something we needed to do here at Golf Course Industry is – Give attention to some of these women's events, and that's something we'll, we'll do here moving forward. Uh, we'd love to get to the U.S. Women's Open next year, which is going to be at Champions Golf Club in Houston, and hopefully, uh, you know, something comes about where we can do that. So it, it, it's completely different. And I would say that if you've never been to an LPGA event, go. If there's one in your neighborhood, go. Take your take your daughter, take your son, take your wife, take your friends, or just go by your by yourself and just see how the players interact and see how they play the golf course too, because it's a much more relatable game than what you would see with the uh the men you know men's golf has essentially become a, a driver wedge game i right. mean you saw what happened at medina last weekend Good players were, were going 20, 20 under par on a course that used to be difficult to to shoot even par for four days so the women's game they're they, they they're fabulous players they're they're much more relatable because they're playing the golf course, how it was designed to be played. You see, you know, I I wasn't there for the tournament, but just in the practice round, you saw players hitting long irons or hybrids into some of the greens on the par fours and not all the par fives were reachable in two for them. So you saw them really strategically play the golf course, probably how Doug Carrick intended it to, to be played when he designed the course in the late nineties. So it was a lot of fun and it was kind of sad to to leave on Wednesday because I would have liked to have stuck around and watched the, the, the tournament for a day.
0: What about The Access? I was reading a story not too long ago, I think it was on The Ringer, about how ESPN is trying to make bowling the new World Series of Poker, because you can air it all the time, and it's not really, it's always in the same indoor spots, it's not time-sensitive, you don't really know these folks, so you can just show them out of order, the fans are crazy, um, and, and The Access is great. The author, the writer of the story mentioned that he talked with a lot of the bowlers in the hallways of bowling centers as strikes were being thrown on the lanes. And at the end of the interviews, they would say, oh, hey, and by the way, if you need anything else, here's my cell phone number. Is it that close on the LPJ Tour or – what, so, what's the access like?
1: What type of access are you talking about? Are you talking about, like, the access a golf course industry gets to tell the story of the maintenance know, job? Think, or are you taking talking about fan access? I think everybody.
0: I think, I think both oh, sides, it, yeah. It,
1: it's much greater than what I've seen in men's golf yeah. and, and some other sports. I, I don't know if I've ever been to a, a sporting event where the players and fans – or with the fans and players interact so much as I as I saw during those two days at Magna Golf Club, and you know from from our perspective, you know, with us covering maintenance shifts at golf course industry, you know, the superintendents that we deal with give us great access. I mean, mm-hmm. they let us go around with the crew in the morning and the evening shifts. They let us into the into the into the maintenance facility and the administrative offices. So for us at golf course industry, uh, the access is terrific. But I would say fan access at an LPGA event is unlike anything I've seen in a sporting event. Uh, speaking of maintenance facilities and administrative areas so my, my first impression of magna when i got there on monday evening was just wow because the first place you report to is the maintenance facility and i've never seen one so quite uh, te- uh clean and tidy as this there wasn't on the on the shop floor i mean you didn't see any dirt. All the equipment was accounted for and in, in, in the right place. And then the, the, the crew gathers in a separate building. So there's a building for all the equipment. There's the chemical buildings, the supply buildings, and all that. But then there's a, the administrative offices and the locker rooms and the lunch area are all in the same spot. And they started, you know, the evening shift with a meeting and that that lunch area. And I walked in the building and it was like the cle- the cleanest one I've ever seen. You know, the maintenance facilities, close to 20 years old. It looks like really it's only two years old. Uh, they have bulletin boards. All over there, they have a um, a uh, health, safety, and uh, ergonomic board, uh, which just shows the commitment to employee safety. There, uh, it had different different posters about the the, the value of stretching in your job. Uh,
0: what wait, actual stretching?
1: Yeah, what what equipment uh, requires? From a PPE perspective, it had different levels of heat index and what you should look out for. It had corporate um, health and safety policies all posted for all the employees to see. Now, Magna is a giant, giant company. Like I said, they have over 300 manufacturing facilities all over the globe. So, you know, their human resources are structured for that. But, you know, it doesn't – so, yeah, Magna Golf Club has 50 employees. It's got a big budget. It's the elite of the elite facilities in Canada. But I noticed things in that – in that workspace that apply to every golf club like show your employees you care right like it doesn't take that much time to print out a few articles or print out a few charts and have a health and safety board inside your maintenance facility it's probably required by law in some places <laughs> they also had a uh, ipm and an environmental board which was the coolest thing it had a uh, you know little um, flyers on some of the diseases that they may see because not everybody that works on a maintenance team is a turf person they don't understand the difference between snow mold or dollar spot you know they're just employees that are doing a seasonal job or a part-time job or even a full-time job that they're not completely invested in like some of the the turf people they care about it and they have passion in it but there's more to their life than turf so they had a board you know just showing people what the different diseases were Uh, it had um, some environmental information on the board and one of the coolest things I saw to promote uh, employee engagement is they had a wildlife monitoring chart so whenever someone saw something on the golf course that was a little bit different wildlife wise they're encouraged to go into the clubhouse write down the date they saw it what hole they saw it and what they saw so you know little things like that are um, not just for the the big budget courses and the elite ones and you know it, it doesn't it, yeah it takes a little time to clean your, your the inside of your maintenance facility but that's not something that is just reserved for courses with big budget so uh, it created a incredible first impression with an outsider like me and you know who knows who else Walks into that area. There could be members that walk down there. There could Mm -hmm. be um, there could be people from the LPGA that came in. I mean, who knows who may wander down there and, you know, your industry partners come come into your maintenance facility. So uh, the cleanliness of it and just the the fact that how much they showed they cared about their employees really stood out to me.
0: And I think that's definitely a, a take home message from spending time there. Was it maybe because of the tie to Magnus oh, because of- Yeah, some of it the, absolutely had to do with- um, I mean, not even the fact that they're this big company, but just the fact that they're in manufacturing, that they run these, what'd you say, 300 and some yeah, odd, 348 yeah. manufacturing oh, facilities around yep. the world. So they have these exacting standards. They, I mean, if you've ever been in a factory, I mean, they are usually just spick span Yep. Uh, I mean, is that is that part of it? or Yeah.
1: I mean, that was certainly part of it. Everyone that works there says, yeah, we, we do these things because we have it structured and um you know a lot of it's coming from corporate but still you have to have the right mentality you know safety you could have the 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 right you know human resources department and the right corporate uh policies but still you know safety's kind of up to the individuals and right. and there was just so much pride in that maintenance facility and you could show you could tell you know it's competitive to get employees right so i think any little thing you can do um inside your maintenance facility that, that you show that, that shows that you care about the individual can help you hire people in this tough labor market. And they, they even had a, um, they had a, uh, a crew softball team that actually was playing on the Tuesday night during tournament week. So could you imagine, uh, they got a game in. Yeah. could you imagine? They played the game that night too. Unfortunately they lost. It was a big semifinal game, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that shows how much they care about the employees. They weren't requiring all 50 to be there for the morning and night shifts. They were smart about how many hours people were spending on the golf course and they were smart about giving them some balance, even during a big tournament tournament week. Like I said, yeah, I mean, they were hosting a televised tournament, but it really felt like just a normal day at Magna golf club.
0: Um, did you talk with Wayne much about the labor situation up north or did it not come up?
1: Uh, We talked a little about it. Um, there was so much to talk about. Um, you know, I also spent a lot of time with, uh, uh, Kendra Kiss who's uh, one of their assistants right. and you know she was wonderful and she's one of the ones that really spearheads some of those policies I was talking about and she does some of those boards in the uh, in the maintenance facility uh, you know Magna is, is like I said it's an elite course in Canada and they probably have a, they have more resources so they 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 don't maybe have the labor pinch that some of the like family-owned or smaller public courses do, but it was really cool to interact with their crew. In fact, of the 50 employees, 15 were, were female. And when I was at Hamilton in June for the first part of the story, you also saw a significant female presence, too. That's one thing that I had I, never seen so many females on crews in the United States as I've, I've seen on these two courses now that I, I've visited in Canada for, the, for this project. And, you know, they're... they're um, the women on these teams, both these crews were treated like any other employee and it, they were put on machines. In fact, I think every uh, person that I saw mowing greens during tournament week at Magna was a female employee. So it, and I spent a lot of time interviewing them and talking to them and observing them. And, you know, the, the reason that course like magna and hamilton are able to attract so many female employees is because they treat them just like everyone else uh you know we're not gonna uh, i i interviewed two uh twin sisters who actually came from a another golf course and they saw saw that on your twitter feed the the first golf course that they worked at they said they didn't have the best experience because they were just kind of told to to work in ornamentals or plant i'm sorry what yeah work in the ornamental beds or plant some flowers
0: whereas at at at, at the, the courses like magna and hamilton they're they're trained how to do all, all the other jobs so wait, wait, wait. this other club literally just told these two twin sisters to go work in the flowers
1: pretty much they weren't um as they weren't doing the tasks that they're doing at magna so um wow. th- that's one thing you know it, it, it was cool i mean and they all seem everyone seemed happy and got along and there's also some really great uh female role models in the industry in Ontario, Uh, you know, like I mentioned, Kendra Kiss and Leslie Thomas, who I filled divots with. um, There was a young woman named Rachel there, who's a a technician assistant at the National Golf Club of Canada. And at Hamilton Golf and Country Club, uh, Tracy Fowler, who's now the senior assistant superintendent. I mean, she's been there for for a long time. In fact, her father worked as a mechanic there, and her brother works there. And I've, I've run into between Hamilton and Magna, I've run into, you know, three or four young ladies who maybe pursued a different career and now are pursuing turf grass maintenance and getting formal training. And these clubs are giving them support and guidance. You know, Rod Trainer, who just retired as superintendent at Hamilton Golf and Country Club, he's one of the Canadian turf legends. And Wayne Rath at Magna, you know, if, if anybody shows an interest, they're, they're, you know, whether they're male or female, they're going to, they're pointing them in the right direction. So it it was really cool to see, uh, you know, the, the the diversity on these crews and how everyone is treated equal and given given the, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're male or female or what country you're from. You're going to be doing the same jobs as everybody else and uh, it, it, really refreshing. And then uh, after I, I got out of Magna Golf Club on Wednesday, I visited our friend Leisha Schwab at Pheasant Run. Uh, golf club and leisha has written a few articles for g c i including a, a very powerful article in our two thousand seventeen turf heads takeover about how women are treated in the golf facility so it was cool to see you know the, the 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 young women going into turf in Canada have some great role models too and uh it was cool to spend some time here this summer with some of these people and uh you know to them it's not male female and they're just another member of the crew and they're there are maybe uh and it's kind of happened or organically matt like there aren't Mm -hmm. it's not coming from big industry efforts or initiative it's coming by people working at these golf courses having good experiences and bringing their friends along or you know it's 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 i think in golf sometimes we're always looking for the national organizations or companies to solve problems from the top and the best way to solve problems and in an industry like golf is, is organically. And from, from the bottom, it's not, you know, the USGA could promote something, but if it's not happening at the club level, it's just not going to happen all over the country or all over the world. So it was, um, uh, and I think for a lot of these ladies, they admitted that preparing a course for an LPGA event was really, really meaningful to them too. You know, this might be the one chance they ever get to do this. Magnus probably never going to host right. anything like this again. And it was just really cool to, to see that, that type of culture and not just see it, in june at hamilton golf and country club go to another course and and see it
0: is this something that you think will expand south of the border do you expect to see more female presence in american crews because i think you mentioned the two crews that you saw in canada one was about a quarter one was about a third women. that's a pretty significant percentage
1: yeah uh, i've not seen percentages like that in the united states you know who knows i mean who knows where we're going to be in in 10 years with um the demographics of the the teams that maintain golf courses but i i sure hope that they're more different types of people i mean uh not a lot of golf courses have all their maintenance positions filled so whatever can be done to open that up to a segment of the population that hasn't been working on golf courses that's a good thing and i think it's really going to come from uh you know superintendents making a commitment to it clubs making to it. sometimes it even goes above the superintendent's head right the clubs have to be open to having um a diverse workplace and a diverse club culture so we'll see uh there's a lot of talent right now though that isn't even considering the golf industry for whatever reason and that's something that that needs to change and uh you know if anyone has the time to to visit a a few superintendents or courses in Ontario, I say go do it. Go up there and, you know, make some phone calls and, you know, use some of your relationships in the industry to see some of these courses and see some
0: of these crews for a scam. Patrick, you've been uh, back there fact-checking us, right? Yes, I have. I haven't found any errors. No errors? None. From me? For, from either of you. Or from Guy? Definitely not from Guy. I, I think Patrick feels like
1: he's still in our in. His intern days, and he has to the, the kiss up to the, the golf course industry staff.
0: All right, Encyclopedia Guy-Tanica. <sighs> right, so we have talked about Magna Golf Course. Uh, that is the home, Magna Golf Club, I'm sorry, uh, the home this year of the CP Women's Open LPGA Tour event. We've been talking about that for about the last 25, 30 minutes. Uh, let's go elsewhere in Ontario, Guy. Uh, you also saw, was it Pheasant Run when you were up there?
1: Yeah, I visited our friend Leisha, and I had no idea that Leisha's – the course that Leisha worked at was so close to Magna Golf Club until Tuesday morning. I was talking to one of the technicians at Magna Golf Club who was rolling greens, uh, Seamus Campbell, and I asked him, you know, what other golf courses that he worked at, and he said, pheasant run. And I said, well, is that the same pheasant run that Leisha works at? And he said, yeah, and I, I said – and then I said, well, is that far from here? He said, no, it's about nine miles or n- – nine kilometers from here. I said, oh, oh that's interesting. I didn't, reali- half I didn't realize it was that close. So what I did was I, I reached out to Alicia on Twitter. I said, hey, how you doing? You might be seeing some tweets. I'm near you. I ran into Seamus. Uh, would love to stop by if you have some time. And she invited me to come over Wednesday before I, I left the country. And we uh, we had a great tour. I mean, it's a 27-hole facility. It's a, it's a public course. It's family-owned. Uh, we had a... We had a tour, and Alicia's doing great work. Uh, her her course was in awesome shape. It was a very hilly course for Ontario. From what I understand, not all the land is quite as uh, uh, severe as some of the land that was at Pheasant Run, but absolutely beautiful, and the environmental programs at Pheasant Run are awesome. Alicia's made it a point to plant some pollinator areas on the golf course. Uh, she's also... Uh, done something at the clubhouse called the Hummingbird Patio. And this is where we actually ate lunch. So how cool is this? Uh they have some uh they have some flowers and some you know areas that attract birds around the clubhouse. So she put three hummingbird feeders in. So we're sitting there eating lunch and uh, some hummingbirds are coming up and couldn't quite get a good picture of them. They're tough to photograph of anyone's ever tried to f- photograph a hummingbird. In fact, when I was in uh, Colorado for the, the uh, golf course builders association of America meeting uh, on the first tee at Bear Dance Golf Club, there was uh, some hummingbirds buzzing around. So I'm trying to take a picture of them, and my playing partners are yelling at me like, you have to hit the ball now. I'm like, no, I'm trying to get a picture of a hummingbird. To me, that's more important than hitting a golf shot. So I rush up to the tee, and I kid you not, I uh, almost whiffed my drive. Like, I hit the ball. I've done that before. I, I topped it and only went a yard, which, you know, for someone that's a decent golfer, it was pretty humiliating. But I said I was too focused on the hummingbirds to hit the golf shot. Now, I, I settled and played nicely, but it was cool to eat lunch with Alicia and see the hummingbird. And then uh, we saw some other cool things. There's an apiary on the course, and they uh, just two weeks ago that Alicia's mom is actually involved in this, and they harvested 1,200 pounds of honey, and they sell it in the pro shop for 10 bucks a jar. And I I I bought some, and I can't wait to to put it on some of my yogurt Sundays, and maybe incorporate it into some smoothie. So you know, I've never really I've never bought honey that was uh, harvested at a golf course. And they also had on the Uh, One of their nines, they Alicia built something called Turtle Turtle Island. So it was a little strip of turf inside a pond. It had a flag on it, and that's where turtles go and hang up, hang out. So there was actually there was. So we drove up to it. Did the
0: turtles know this is their hangout? I don't know, but they were supposed to go there.
1: But there was a duck sitting there with a turtle, so it was perfect. So Alicia drives up the cart. I get out. I got to take a picture of it, and what happens? The turtle dives into the water right away. So I must have scared it off. It wouldn't be the first. uh, animal I've scared off on a golf tur- golf course. Heck, I've probably scared people off of uh, some of my uh, – I, I, I take like hundreds of pictures when I play golf. I'm sure it's probably turned some people off, but it's part of my job, and it's part of celebrating the beauty of what the, the people in this industry produce.
0: And you do post a lot of those photos on Twitter at GCI Magazine Guy. Uh, if anybody wants to see them before we talk about them here. Well, we also post them
1: at GCI Magazine, too. We do. So, so they're, they're, we do. They're, they're, they're out there. And, you know, we do it to celebrate the industry, and we do it to celebrate the the beauty of what everyone produces, because, to me, social media is one of the most powerful tools in, in golf. Uh, it, it allows people to uh, sh- showcase their work in a form that maybe they didn't have before. It's a job recruitment tool at some places. And... It also, it, when, when done correctly, which is about ninety nine point nine percent of the time in the golf industry, it also um, showcases the the great things that the golf industry is doing for the land and the surrounding communities. And that's another thing I've noticed in uh, in Canada, with being at Hamilton and Magna Golf Club and some of the other ones. I I feel like that that um, using social media on the job is more promoted up there. Uh, mm-hmm. People at Magna Golf Club were stopping during their shifts and and photographing the sunrise, and it wasn't deterring from the quality of work or the volume of work that they were doing, but it's really uh, promoted up there to get cool pictures of, of the golf course, and I, I think that that helps attract different people to the industry too because think about it, Matt. Like If I'm 19 years old, and I work on a golf course, and I'm using Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat mm-hmm. and Facebook to post what I'm doing throughout the course of day. You mean I get to
0: use this on my job? I use this all the time. But
1: just if yeah. you're just a young person and you're doing it and uh, you know, your friends are following you on all those platforms and they see these pictures of these sunrises or, or these water features or these people doing uh, um, tough, fulfilling work, they're, their friends are going to ask them about it, and inevitably they're going to bring on some of their friends because of what mm-hmm. they – maybe a picture – I mean, a golf course is a much more interesting place to post pictures from than a, if you were a lifeguard at a pool, which I don't think they probably allow you to take pictures of people swimming, or probably if not. you work in retail behind a desk all day not. or in a warehouse or something. So social media, when it's done right, can be a powerful tool, and I, I, it's cool to see so many uh, Canadians engaged in social media. You know, we have – uh, an industry-leading 16,000 plus followers at GCI <laughs> magazine, plug. and I would say that you know between 1,500 and 2,000 of those might be Canadians. So it's cool to yeah. see that type of engagement uh, north of the border, and it's just not the um, resorts that are doing social media well, or it's just not the so, uh, public courses that are promoting social media with with the crew. I mean, I mean, Magna Golf Club is an exclusive private club. And we have people following us now who work there that that take pictures of what they do on the golf course occasionally. So how cool how how cool is that? Oh, uh, Matt we, just uh, opened a Matt just opened a Labatt's here in our recording studio. Uh, hey. I brought I brought some back from him. I didn't tell the border patrol agent about about bringing that you know you back into the U.S. You can buy those in the U.S. It's not the same as buying them in Canada. Well, anyway, it's actually a Coke.
0: Uh. You know, theater of the mind guy. Theater of the mind. Patrick is bringing over some fact-checking. I can't read that. What does that say? Oh, it, uh, it's what? it talks a little bit about uh, best practices. Best practices. Of hum- hummingbirds. Oh, retent. Okay, so let's backtrack to Alicia and what she's doing at Pheasant Run. Um, I love clubs that do apiary work. And uh, I think it was uh, Bucks Run in Michigan with Craig McKinley who does that there. And he even got stung in the neck earlier this year, one day, uh, did Leisha have any stories like that? Where the no, because
1: her? Her, her mom's an expert in that, okay. that stuff. So she's the one doing most of the work in the apiary. Okay. But you know, if you talk about, uh, getting goodwill with your membership or your clientele or helping yourself politically or boosting your standing at your facility, these, these environmental efforts are paying huge dividends for superintendents. Uh, you know, how cool is it if, if you're, a member at a private club, and you go to eat dinner, and you know that the, the, the honey that's put on your, your granola came from the golf course, and it came because your superintendent did a, a little thing in a wayward part of the course that nobody hits a ball out of. You know, it's those little things that really help superintendents, and a lot of those little things sometimes are outside – the uh the the turf and the playing areas and uh leisha's doing a great job of that and it was really uh i really felt like like so one of the things about golf is that when you're going out and playing it as a consumer or customer you want to be taken to a place that's different than where you spend most of your time right Right. and that was the cool i told leisha about that about pheasant run you just feel like you're in a peaceful soothing place that is an escape from whatever's going on in your everyday life. And it's,
0: it's it's a third place. Everybody needs a third place. You have your home, you have your work, you need a third place, whether it's the library or a bar or a golf club.
1: Yep. And it's up to the superintendent, you know, to make that third place special for, for the people that visit it. And, you know, superintendents deliver time and time again on, uh, creating that happy place for their clientele.
0: If we Go back even a little further. You were taking photos of the hummingbird feeders. What is the difference between a hummingbird feeder and a regular bird feeder? Because my three-year-old, Margo, just turned three uh, last week, and one of the things she got was a bird feeder, a purple bird feeder, one of her favorite colors, from her grandma, uh, my mother-in-law, Linda. And she has been so excited this week to see the level of bird seed in the bird feeder depleted. She is so convinced that birds are eating her bird seed. And last night at dinner, we're looking out the back window, and we see this son-of-a-gun black squirrel jump from the bush onto the bird feeder. The bird feeder is swinging, and this jerk squirrel is eating all the bird seed out of there. And Margot loves it, but she then realizes there's no bird. So what's the difference between a regular bird feeder, which can be completely ruined by a squirrel, and a hummingbird feeder?
1: Well, you might be asking... The wrong person about the birds and the bees. You're not
0: in – oh, my God.
1: But I can tell you oh. – How I can, long have you
0: been waiting to use that one?
1: But I can tell you what Leisha told me yesterday and what I observed at Pheasant Run. So when we were eating lunch, Leisha stepped inside because she noticed that the, the, the hummingbird feeders were empty, and she filled them with a mix of water and sugar. So there are okay. three of them on, on the, pat, the hummingbird patio, and she filled it with that. And lo and behold, right after she filled all three of them up, more hummingbirds started coming around. So <laughs> uh, she actually got the idea when she was on a trip in Costa Rica and ate at a, at a restaurant that had a hummingbird patio, so a hummingbird cafe. So she brought that idea back to her golf course, and fortunately, she, you know it's a family-owned facility, and conservation is a big thing at Pheasant Run. In fact, in the, uh, the clubhouse, they have uh, artwork and pictures of different wildlife that are found on the golf course and a little Audubon notice. So it's prominently displayed. So, uh, like I said, you're asking the wrong person about maybe some of the nuances of you know promoting wildlife on the golf course. But uh, what Alicia did was was something that she noticed in Costa Rica, brought it back to her course, and, you know, very simple. Someone just has to, to fill these feeders up with sugar and water a few times
0: a, a week. So that that's the primary difference is it's sugar, water versus – A seed, yeah. Yeah. So – squirrels probably have very little interest in sugar water even unless
1: they they can somehow jump up there and and get it out which i you know they're not a lot of i haven't seen a, a a squirrel that can jump like jordan on a golf course
0: well you know squirrels can do things they just they need the power lines or they need the the shrubs and the trees so a lot of times they can't get that what else did you see at pheasant run was it was it primarily the environmental work that leisha and her her folks are doing there I mean, I I saw a golf
1: course that had elevation. I saw a golf course that had nice playing surfaces. I mean, it was 40 years old. I saw some great views. Uh, I saw a little bit of everything. I saw some cool bunkering, like Leisha's doing some uh, tactics with her bunker edging using scissors instead of the the typical shovel method. And their bunkers uh, have a nice brown sand, which I think looks natural for that environment, and they kind of looked at like some of the uh, bunkers that you would see in the the sand belt of Australia. Um, really, uh, you know, it's not really sandy soil pheasant run, but just some of the edging and facing of them kind of looked uh, a bit unique for North America. So uh, that re- really stuck out. Stuck out, and it was just it, it's cool because uh, Magna Golf Club is obviously a phenomenal facility and it was it 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 was cool to go see pheasant run which is a different facility with a different clientele and also a phenomenal facility in its own own way
0: so you saw primarily magna pheasant run your your nine hole excursion at the border anything else during your trip north
1: no sorry i didn't visit more golf courses for you matt we only Only had so much time i did see uh the inside of a few tim hortons oh Great workspaces, and actually, so uh, <laughs> we won't get too long-winded here, but a great Tim Hortons story is on Wednesday morning when I was traveling to Magna Golf Club, I think I left the hotel at 4 a.m., uh, mm-hmm. wanted to get some coffee on the way and uh, passed a Tim Hortons that was open 24 hours. Just coffee, no Timbits? Uh, not at that time, That's no. Timbits are amazing. No. Okay. So I, I go in there, and the uh, the person working there was asleep on one of the uh, the tables, so well, I yeah, kind of yeah. had to gently
0: wake this him person up. person was working? yes. Getting paid, yes, so hold on so in Canada, Tim Horton's employees get to sleep on the job
1: golf, I don't know if they get course, to golf it,
0: course employees get to use social media on the job this sounds like a wonderland what could possibly go wrong with Canada other than other than the winters I don't
1: know I've, I've only been there twice really I've only spent time there twice and it's yeah, both in really the last three months this, and I've this year I've met some wonderful people and seen some spectacular things so uh, hopefully we get a chance to, to go go back and it's really not that far from our office i mean we're in cleveland and if we didn't have this big lake in front of us we could go probably drive directly to toronto and well no, in an hour no, and a half two hours no
0: because toronto i once i have friends who have two jet skis uh this guy who started his own uh company when he was in high school and he's a millionaire now so he owns two jet skis, and I floated the idea to him to once jet ski across Lake Erie to Toronto. And he said, Matt, you know that Toronto is not north of Lake Erie.
1: <laughs> well, another thing that sticks out is Toronto yeah, is. It's,
0: it's Lake. Uh, what is that Lake? Patrick? Ontario. <laughs> Is, it is it's Lake Ontario but duh, of course.
1: The other thing that maybe our listeners don't understand, or if you haven't been to Toronto, you just wouldn't know, is that it's the fastest growing city in North America. Yeah. The Greater Toronto area is close to six million people now. It really is despite it being, you know, in a northern climate and it gets cold there and they have harsh winters, it really is a global city and every single way imaginable it just keeps get home values are going up at like even higher than San Francisco rates well, I mean, you anybody, have people anybody from who
0: watches hgtv can tell you that yeah you you people from, from well like, i don't watch T-
1: i don't watch tv unless no, it's don't. unless it involves a uh, a ball being uh, f- uh shot or or hit or uh thrown into the air so <laughs> uh it, it it it's a fascinating place you you meet you see people from all over the world when you're going uh through a hotel or just uh driving somewhere and it's it's it, it, it it's one of those overlooked golf meccas and uh like i said hope, hopefully we get a chance to go back and uh, hopefully our readers enjoy the first part of the r major series and hopefully they enjoy the the, the third part and yeah it it, it was a gr- great experience and uh we're just lucky to have so many people. When we go to cover these things, that open their doors to us and spend time with us and allow us to meet. Just not the the head superintendent or the assistant superintendent. We meet all sorts of people that work at these facilities, and uh, it's inspiring in a lot of ways.
0: And it's how we keep great stories coming to you at golfcourseindustrymagazine.com, in Golf Course Industry Magazine, the monthly print publication, and on all our social media channels at gci magazine at gci magazine guy. And at Matt Lowell, M-A-T-T-L-A-W-E-L-L. Guy, I think this has been another great episode of Greens with Envy. We'll be back shortly with uh, some stories, I think, from Arizona. And I'm not sure, where do you have coming up here in the next few weeks?
1: I have a vacation scheduled, so my girlfriend and I are going to Grand Teton and Yellowstone, which we probably won't make into a podcast.
0: We can talk about it We'll probably do
1: one about your your looming Arizona trip. And, well, let's just yeah. talk
0: about the West. We've already done Colorado. Let's talk about the West. Yep. We'll do we'll, Yellowstone we'll do Arizona.
1: We'll be back in a few weeks, everyone, and keep listening, keep reading, and find some time to play golf here as the summer winds down.
0: Yeah, keep, keep them straight. Guy, thanks so much. Our producer, Patrick Williams, thanks for fact-checking us. Rent prices are 133% higher in San Francisco than they are in Toronto. But I was
1: talking about home values, not rent prices, so it's a big difference.
0: Yeah, He'll check that one, too. We'll check that one off the air. Thanks for listening. Have a great, great day. I'm Matt Lowell, along with Guy, along with Patrick. See ya.